Hi, this is Ruth Friedman, and I serve as the Maharat at Ohev Shalom, the National Synagogue in Washington, D.C. And welcome back to my weekly Parsha podcast, Life Imitates Torah. This week, we're looking at Parsha Truma, which begins the very, very detailed end of the book of Shemot, which focuses on the materials and the construction for the Mishkan, the tabernacle, and also the clothing for the Kohanim. And there are many, many technical details, which is a big change from everything we've seen in the Torah until now, which has been a lot of grand narrative. It's very abrupt change from all of the narrative of both uh, Genesis and Exodus. And now suddenly we are wading through the details of measurements and materials, etc. So what I wanted to do today was to focus really on the first verse of this Parsha. Before we get into all the details, the instructions for how we are going to collect these materials. So God says to Moshe, Zaber el b'nei Yisrael, the Kruli Truma me eight kol ish asher yidvenu libo tikru et trumati. So I'm going to read the JPS translation. Tell the Israelite people to bring me gifts. You shall accept gifts for me from every person whose heart so moves him. Now, this 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 important part of the pasuk, which is that the people who are giving are giving because their heart moves them, is the subject of a lot of commentary and a lot of the drashot that are given on Parsha Truma focus on that, on the beauty of the fact that the people who gave for this gave not because they had to, but because their hearts moved them to. It was not a giving of an obligation. It was a voluntary giving, which is something that is enormously beautiful and speaks volumes to the relationship that the Israelites had with God at this particular moment. We're going to focus on that idea today, but really through the lens of the earlier wording in the Parsha, in the verse rather, which is Vayikuli Truma. Now, the JPS translated it as the Israelite people should bring me gifts. But really, the languages of Vayikuli means, and they should take for me gifts. So why does it say, vaikuli truma? Wouldn't it make sense to say, vayaviuli or vaitnuli? Now, some of the Mefarshim ask this question. So the Shadal, for example, and he's not the only one who says this, says that, well, if the language is vaikuli, because implied in this commandment is that really what the Israelites need to do at this point is to appoint collectors for all of the material, right? They should look in society, appoint some people whose job it is going to be to go to all of the people in the society or whoever wants to give, collect the materials that they are giving, and then bring those materials to Moshe so that they can construct the Mishkan. And if that's an implied step within this, then the language of vaikuli to take makes sense because those collectors are going to be taking from the people and then bringing it to Moshe. So that's a way of explaining the language, but without really, really reading into it more of a sort of midrashic approach. Um, it's still pretty literal. It's just reading in the step of the collectors so that the verse makes more sense. Now, the Malabim agrees and says, yes, it does mean that they had to appoint collectors. But he says it's not just to explain the linguistic challenge, but also because you need to have collectors. Because if the verse was going to say, that they will all give me truma, then that would become a collective obligation of the people. 
And the rest of the verse says the only, the only people who are giving are the ones who want to. So it has to be that you appoint collectors because if you have point collectors, they will take from the people who want. And it's still a way of preserving a category of people maybe who didn't want to give. And that is okay. But he does go one step further. And he points out that the language of the verse is, And he says that when you have the word of kach, of taking, coupled with mi'et, from, then that is a word combination that implies that the giving is out of a true desire without any coercing. That if it's the language of kach mimenu, take from him, that is language that means that you that person is giving to you whether or not they want to. There could be coercion, there could be an ulterior motive. But kach me'ito, the me'it implies that no, it is only giving out of a true desire to do so without any regard or concern for what anyone else is thinking about whether why you're giving or whether it is that you have to. So it's a way of also like the shadal understanding the language of why it says kach and to say, well, there are collectors, but it's also taking it a step further and additionally really emphasizing the purity of the givers that they really are only doing it only because they want to. Now I wanted to move to the Toldo Yitzchak, who asks three questions. He has three issues with the language of the verse and, and gives three responses, all focusing on the word, the language of kach specifically. Now, the first answer he gives is that he says, kicha is inyano kinyan, that kicha is language of a kinyan, of a formal transaction, meaning that when the Israelites took this truma, this material that they wanted to give and brought it to Moshe to construct the mikdash, they were entering a kinyan, a transaction with God. And they were saying, here's the material, and then obligating God in the response of building the Mikdash and dwelling within it. So it's not just that they are giving this material, but it's really that they are giving the material and in so doing, entering into a formal reciprocal relationship with God, whereby God now has to respond in kind. He then goes one step further. He says, or maybe the Lashon of Kach is actually Lashon Likuchin, which is a word for marriage. That it says specifically, she kuli truma, to imply that here God becomes the groom, the chatan, and Israel is the kala, the bride, with regard to the truma. So that it's this is not just the normal God-Israel relationship until now, if there is a normal God-Israel relationship until now, but with regard to the truma, they are now a chatan and a kala. They are now a groom and a bride. What does that mean? He offers a third explanation that while he doesn't explicitly connect it to the first two, I think really they are all building on each other. So his third point is that there are times when you have a giver and a taker. And normally the relationship would be giver and taker. However, if the taker, he says, is an Adam Chashuv, an important person, then when someone gives to them, that Adam Chashuv no longer is the taker, but actually becomes the giver. And the person who is giving to them actually now becomes the taker 
or the receiver. So let's go into an example because that's a lot of back and forth language. If I have, let's say, um, a rabbi or a rabbi, someone in my life whom I respect enormously, then let's say they need something from me. I don't know. They need a trip to the, so they, someone's going to the grocery store and they need help, right? So if I'm going to the grocery store, I'm going to pick up the one thing that they need. And I'm going to bring it to them because like I can help them. I'm the giver. They are the taker. However, if it's someone I admire enormously in Adam Chashuv, then really they are doing me the favor by allowing me to help them. And in that regard, they become the giver and I become the receiver. I become the taker. So his, he's arguing that that is what happened here with the Mishkan, with this whole idea of Truma, that the Israelites technically are the givers. So technically it should be Vayitnu li Truma, except that what he's saying is that in the process, the moment that the Israelites give to God, even though technically they are the givers, they become the takers because God is of such an elevated status that it becomes an honor for the Israelites to be giving to God. And at that moment, they become the takers, which is why it says, truma, and they should take from me a truma instead of truma, they should give to me a truma. Now, building, bringing this all together, I think it actually really comes together in a, in a beautiful point, in, a, in, in really pinpointing a possible transformation or at least addition to the relationship of God in Israel at this point. Now, until now, the relationship of God in Israel is one of redeemer and redeemed. It is a relationship that exists in the present because of the past, because the Israelites were suffering and God took them out of Egypt. But now with this language of vaykhuli truma and the, the transaction, the kinyan that they enter into by bringing God, by bringing Moshe the materials to be constructed into the Mikdash, it takes their relationship to a next level. It makes it more of like a, a marriage or a partnership of a chatan and a kala. And what does that marriage or that partnership look like? It looks like a, a good relationship is where the lines of giving and taking become blurred where every interaction doesn't just feel like a transaction, right? If we, if friendships are wonderful, but if you go to the store and you buy, you pick up something big for your friend, you're going to expect your friend and your friend is going to expect to pay you back, right? Because still it's a transaction that you're engaging in. And and part of a friendship doesn't mean that you just, you know, are going to buy your friend chicken for Shabbos, right? You're happy to pick it up for them, but you're not necessarily going to pay for it. But a more intimate relationship is one in which those lines become a lot more blurred. And technically, while one, one party might at one point be giving to the other and the other party taking, it's not as clear cut. And it, those boundaries aren't even really noted as much anymore. But also that that person, especially if it's in a dam chashuv, which might not be a marriage, might be more of like a parent relationship, is giving you the honor by asking you to help them. And and I love this point of the Toldo Yitzchak because it points to a bit of a, a transition point between the relationship between God and the Israelites. Until now, it is really a relationship of the Redeemer and the redeemed. God took them out of slavery and into freedom, although really they're still in the desert. And the Israelites were the ones who were taken out, right? They owe everything to God 
and God is the one who saved them, which is still true of our relationship, of course, and, and, and itself is a beautiful message. But also here, what the Toldot Yitzchak is helping us explore is that that relationship now comes to have other layers to it as well. And now we're moving from just the redeemer and the redeemed to also the relationship of a chatan and a kala, of a groom and a bride, of the most intimate voluntary partnership that two human beings can enter into. Of course, well, God's not a human being, of course, but you know what I mean. The two beings can enter into is one of marriage, one of a formalized contractual relationship. Now, and what is the real vision of that relationship? It's one in which the lines of giving and taking become blurred. It's one in which even if you are giving to the other person, there is that love and respect present in the relationship that makes you feel like you are not just the one giving, but that you are also receiving. And once those lines of giving and receiving become blurred, you don't think of the relationship solely in transactional terms. And it really becomes more of a mutual partnership in which the two parties exist in relationship for the purpose of helping each other and for the purpose of supporting each other. And it it leaves the transactions of our day-to-day lives with other people who are not as close in relationship with us, where, yes, there are exchanges. I go to the store and I pay the store the clerk for what I bought, right? That is a normal, typical relationship that we have with most other people. But there are certain relationships which are unique enough and special enough that they transcend that give-take dynamic and those lines become blurred and it really becomes about that both giving and taking are expressions of love and mutuality. Now that can sometimes veer into dangerous territory if it becomes too extreme. But for the day-to-day existence, it really is a beautiful model for what it means to go through life, to partner in life with another person, with another entity. That it is about mutual support and not just who gives more or who takes more. Shabbat shalom.